Good evening. Welcome to Apologetics.com Radio, where we challenge believers to think and think is to believe. If you are listening, that means you're listening live. It is midnight on, oh gosh, I guess it's Saturday, um, January, February, March, April 17th. I can't believe that this month is almost gone. And uh, it's a rare occasion here, guys. I am actually sitting in studio all by myself. I'm, I'm, I'm looking around and I don't have anybody to look back at me. And it's a dangerous thing when I'm in here by myself. But I might be by myself, but I'm not alone. I have on the line, uh, well, our amazing Dr. Leslie Wickman, who I'm going to bring on in one second. And then we have a very special guest tonight. And... Um, and we're going to get into all that, and we're going to have a lot of fun. But before that, I'd just like to mention that uh, tonight we are dedicating the episode to a very, very important thing. It is going to be a, a Women in Apologetics, a nonprofit organization that's uh, that's really setting out and seeking to encourage and equip and educate women in particular in Christian apologetics. And as we talk, I'm going to give you a little bit more about what they're up to, but you need to, you need to jot this down. Don't turn your radio off. Don't tune us out, but you definitely have to look up womeninapologetics.com. You need to click on the like button. You need to follow them on social media. You need to get involved with what they're doing. And uh, we're going to get into that a little bit. And I'd like to bring on, on the top, just Leslie Wickman. Is, is Dr. Wickman with us? Are you there, Dr. Wickman? I am. Can you hear? <gasps> You're there. Can you hear John? I can. This is incredible. <laughs> Technology has Isn't brought it? us together. Yeah. How exactly. amazing and, and how, how weird, too, though. Right. <laughs> where, I miss being in studio, though. Well, where are you? I am in Northern California. Okay. Uh, out in the middle of nowhere, really. Um, not too far from Reading. Oh, nice. Nice. That's awesome. Are you there for ministry or are you there for, for just for fun? Well, uh, I'm actually headed up to Oregon. I, this is a stopover for me, so okay. I'm on my way to Oregon. Uh, I'll be up there for a few weeks working remotely. Awesome. Well, this is the time to be working yeah. remotely. I mean, this is what we do, isn't it? Exactly. It's, 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 and it's so strange not to have you here, but I'm glad that you're on the phone at least because now, uh, well, you'll make sure things don't go too far awry. Well, you know? I hope so. <laughs> well, and tonight's really interesting because normally tonight is our science night. And uh, so we usually dig deep into things, all things science, and we take calls and stuff. But tonight's a little bit different because we have a very special guest. And I'm really looking forward to bringing her on. Do you think we should do that? Let's do that. I'm actually kind of hoping to be a fly on the wall and learn something tonight. <laughs> I'm looking to learn something, too, because I'm going to bring on uh, with us, this is um, Laura Ziffer Powell, and... Uh, she is an amazing and accomplished speaker. She's uh, she's well, she's a Christian, um, and she actually she's a graduate of Duke University. And uh, you know, she came to faith. Well, I'm going to have her share how she came to faith by thinking critically um, while she was immersed in a culture of uh, moral relativism there at Duke. Uh, she's married to Scott Powell. She attended Denver seven, Seminary. And uh, Laura, are you with us, Laura? I am, yes. Oh, yay! Okay, now, so I'm just going to keep tooting your horn while you're on the line just to make you turn bright red, even though I can't see you. Um, I, I've read your bio, and it says here that you've traveled to like 30 countries, including Afghanistan, Egypt, Jordan, Burundi. I don't even know where that is. Peru, Uganda, India, Thailand, Greece, Turkey. Italy. I'm not going to name them all. This is unbelievable. <laughs> and, um, and one of the things that I, it seems like you're passionate yeah. about is relationships with, with people of other cultures. This is incredible. Like it's. I am. Yeah, it's actually it's it's interesting 
Yeah, it's interesting because I have never really wanted to travel. Um, that, that was never something that sounded interesting to me. I remember having a conversation when I was 21 years old with some friends of mine, and they were asking, one, one of my friends asked us all, um, if you could travel anywhere in the world, um, where would you go? And I said, Florida. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody else's answers were like, you know, exotic places all over the world. And they wanted to be, a lot of them wanted to be missionaries and, and travel to, um, to unknown lands. And I was like, no, thank you. Just, just keep me, keep me at home. If I have to go someplace, um, you know, send me back to Florida. That's where I grew up. <laughs> and, uh, and then here we are about 20 years later and I've been to, to about 30 different countries. And most of, uh, most of those friends have been to maybe one or two countries, but it's just funny how things work out. That was not an ambition of mine. It's just, just, uh, the way things happened, I suppose. It's, it's so cool. And, and I mean, the Lord's guided you through those things, but even now presently, as we sit here, I mean, if people need to go to your website too, and I think it's, is it, is it lauraziffer.powell.com? Is that your website? It's laurazpowell.org. .org. Okay, so it's going to be for our yeah, listeners. laurazpowell.org. Laura, L-A-U-R-A, is the letter Z, Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L, dot org. And uh, people can follow what you're doing because right now, I mean, you're, okay. you're writing, you're speaking, you're teaching, you're discipling women. And, um, and actually, I think maybe this is the newest on your list is that you are an apologist with Women in Apologetics. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Yes. For, um, for years, I had been uh, teaching, training missionaries and providing missionary care. Um, after that, I spent a lot of time ministering in the uh, refugee community in Atlanta, ministering to Muslims. And uh, we moved because of my husband's job. We moved to a small rural town where pretty much... Uh, I, w- I would be ministering to to cows or to myself, <laughs> and uh, if I didn't learn how to use use technology and get online, <laughs> and so I um, I love reading. If I have any spare time, I love to read. And several friends of mine recommended that I just start uh, putting together some articles, some blog posts, and uh, figure out how to start a blog and and get online so that. Maybe if someone wanted to read something about what I was learning, they could. So I went ahead and did that just so that I would be, um, so that I would have you know something to contribute. Sure. In ministry. And and people. And um, and one thing led to another, and yeah, the 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 blog was uh, well read, and then um, um, Gospel Centered Discipleship started publishing my articles, and people started sharing my articles, and then. <laughs> I was asked to speak, and then uh, Rachel Shockey gave, uh, uh, and I met at the Women in Apologetics conference. We found out that after the conference, we were both flying back to Tampa, Florida, and uh, we had lunch, and a couple hours later, she asked if, if uh, she could interview me to be their Islam ministry specialist. So it's really been a whirlwind of a year. I mean, my, I think I just celebrated my first year at Women in Apologetics about... Ten days ago. That's unbelievable, and I have to give uh, a give a nod to women women in apologetics because my wife has gone to the conferences um, both remotely, but then when it was in person two years ago, she went and was blown away. 
by so many of the speakers because like when we say it's women in apologetics, it doesn't it, – you know, oftentimes I feel like when we say, oh, it's a women's event, sometimes people think it's a lesser event. It's really not. Like this event, guys, you guys got to go on and check out the speakers because they're top – Notch. Not only is is uh, Laura Powell, who our guest our guest this evening, one of them, but I mean, you guys get the, get them from all over the country. They come in and speak experts in certain areas. Uh, Rachel Shockey being one of them, and she is she the founder of Women in Apologetics. She is uh, Sarah Enterline, I believe, uh, had oh, started yeah. a uh, website. I forget what it was called, but it was a platform for women to share what they were writing and speaking on apologetics. And um, then Rachel Shockey took it over um, when when Sarah was moving on. That's right. And Rachel really made it into what it is right now, which is which is quite a different thing than than merely a platform for sharing. Women in Apologetics now has their own speakers and uh, entire social media team, an entire Spanish department that writes and edits <laughs> that material in Spanish. Um, there are, yeah, it, it's it's really become quite the organization in the past, I think, three or four years. It's only been incorporated for three and a half years, I think, and it's only been in, in existence at all for about four years. And there have been four conferences uh, and great, great speakers, like you said, lots of great work going on, lots of great writing, a monthly newsletter, and so much more in store, So, yeah. including our first online course, which we are about to launch. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. You know what? I think that, um, well, one, I'd like to make the connection b- between um, – you know, uh, Dr. Leslie Wickman's on the line with me now. She's my regular co-host during this week, and she is a woman, and she is into apologetics. And uh, you yeah. guys need to make the connection Great. and get involved yeah, together. This, this yes. is crazy. I don't. I don't know how this is the Absolutely. first time I've heard of women in apologetics. So <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to all this. And I'm like, how do I not know about this organization? <laughs> Look at this. Dots are being connected right now. God is working. This is unbelievable. And, you know, like yeah. I, I kind of want to dive into this topic like that we're here to talk about tonight because it's a different topic for, for Dr. Wickman and I. And it actually has to do with that, that first class that Women in Apologetics – is is launching it's a the wia academy course and it's uh it's islam foundations and i just want to on the onset of our conversation i want to let everybody know who's listening you guys have to have to have to go to womeninapologetics.com and you have to register for this class and uh that you can register through may 17th but you have a month to do it but you don't want to wait because the class is going to begin in June. It might fill up. You don't want to lose your opportunity to sign up. So you got to go to womeninapologetics.com, sign up for this. And you guys are going to – well, Laura, you're teaching the class, yes? Yes. So we have 20 video lessons, and those have all been recorded. I actually flew out to California, worked with a great videographer there, Robert Bontrager. He's wonderful. And we recorded all the videos in a few days. And um, so people will be able to watch those uh, two videos a week. They're about a half an hour long each. And we will ask that people watch two of those a week, but on their own time. So 
it's not like you have to watch the video at a designated time with me. You watch it whatever time of the week works for you. And then we have 10 Zoom meetings over the course of 10 weeks that um, are optional, but we'll have Q&A sessions with guests. I'm going to be bringing in some other experts in Islam who have different experiences that complement mine. Okay. The participants in the course will be able to ask them questions, be able to hear from them and their experiences, their knowledge. Um, we'll have a study guide with major points, um, important quotes, fill in the blanks to, to reinforce learning. We'll have discussion questions and opportunities for interactions with fellow course members. Um, <laughs> there are two assignments. Uh, this is like the real deal. Muslim, one a non-Muslim. This is going to be incredible. Yes, this is a full-on full course. I love it. Yes, yes, I'm so excited about it. And, and even, though, even though we're offering the whole package here, it's, really, it's only $25. So, oh, my gosh. Um, and even if that's a problem for someone, we, we have a scholarship program. So, Absolutely. This is amazing. Um, I, I'm so excited that we can offer this. So, okay, yeah. so, so you're going to be, you, you've recorded these lessons, you're going to be teaching on Islam, and like, I'd, I'd really love to give some people a preview um, tonight of kind of what you're going to be, speak, like, what you're going to teach them, and maybe could we go over some mm -hmm. of the basics of Islam? Now, I, I'm coming to this, this issue, I want to be full disclosure, I'm coming out of somewhat... Uh, an area of ignorance, you know. I, I work at STR with with Alan Schliemann. He's our Islam guy, and uh, this isn't normally where I go. But I'd love mm -hmm. to hear if you could tell us, like, what are some of the the basics of Islam? Yeah, absolutely. So Islam actually superficially has a lot in common with Christianity, but really the similarities are just that they're superficial. You don't have to dig all that deep to start to see really major differences. But just to give an overview of the basics, Islam is monotheistic. Um, they believe in one God, just like we do, although we believe that God is a trinity, and um, they believe that he is an absolute singularity. He's not a trinity. Uh, in Islam, they believe that God gave the Torah to, Mo to Moses and the gospel to Jesus, and he gave the Quran to Muhammad. They believe that Muhammad is the greatest and final prophet in the long line of biblical prophets. So they believe that so Jesus is a prophet. They have a lot of... Yes, that's right. They believe that Jesus was a prophet. They believe that he did miracles. They believe he lived a great life, that he was a great teacher. Uh, so... Um, but, but they miss the most important really, part. Like I said, they're... Exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah, they, they don't believe that Jesus was deity, that he died by crucifixion, or that he rose from the dead. So okay. right there, uh, they've dismissed the gospel, the entire gospel message. Sure. Okay. Um, but they do believe that Jesus was uh, a great prophet and a great teacher and a great miracle worker. Okay. And so the Quran, yeah. No, ahead. no, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. This is really interesting stuff. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, so the Quran itself says that the Quran was revealed for Arabs in and around Mecca so that they would have the same message as Jews and Christians had, but that they would have it in their own language. A lot of Muslims today 
say the Quran was given because the Bible had been corrupted. That's why the Quran had to be sent down. But that's not actually what the Quran says. The Quran says that um, it was a confirming message of what had already been revealed through the Torah and the Gospels. But the Jews and Christians in and around Mecca rejected Muhammad as a prophet. He was claiming to be the final prophet of Christianity, the final prophet of Judaism. And he wanted the Jews and the Christians to follow him, but they rejected him. And eventually he had to flee. He had an opportunity to come uh, to Medina, which was which is about 90 miles away, I believe, from Mecca. And there he gained a much bigger following, and that's where Islam flourished. So Muhammad actually then began to attack those who rejected Islam and spent the last 10 years of his life fighting battles in the name of Allah. And he's actually the beautiful pattern of conduct for all Muslims to be imitated in every aspect of his life. So that, that's important. That has yeah. implications for a lot of different aspects of a Muslim's life. But Islam is very, very focused on following the rules. So it's important to pray five times a day. It's important to face the correct direction, to wear the right clothing, to use the right motions and intonation during prayer, to never drink a sip of alcohol during your life, to make a pilgrimage to Mecca and walk around the Kaaba, the big black stone, uh, to fast during the daylight hours of Ramadan, the month of, of prayer and fasting. Um, if you're a woman, it's important to make sure you're covered up. If you're a man, it's important to make sure the women around you are covered up. <laughs> so following the rules is very, very important. Sure. Can I ask you a and, question? Um, following, yeah, absolutely, yes. Okay. So, man, one of the things that you said is that the – and I'm really sorry because I, I have the the ability – just ask Dr. Wickman. Like I have the ability to completely – take everything off the rails here um and you can you can just get you could just not listen to my question and just keep going but like so you had said that the quran is kind of like this continuation of the scriptures or like they it teaches the same message is is what a lot of is what the the muslims would say is that right well that's what the quran itself says okay so but actually, it's not the same i find a lot of discrepancy between that's right, exactly. It's not the same. It, it teaches a lot of differences, and this is actually a huge problem for Muslims if, if, um, if Christians know that fact, that the Quran, um, the Quran claims to be a confirming book of the Gospels and the Torah, and yet contradicts it in very key issues. Okay. And okay, that that's like that's like so helpful to me. And so so we've been going through kind of what what the basics of Islam are. Um, and you were just uh, now we're going to get back to where you were. You were talking about rules, 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 right? So so women have to dress a certain way. Men have to make sure women dress yeah. a certain way. And then what's next? That's right. And then those whose good deeds outweigh their bad deeds will likely go to paradise, oh. and all others will go to hell. Oh my gosh! Yes. So it's very much an um, a works based earn your salvation uh, kind of religion. So can uh, can a yes. Muslim ever be assured of their in, in quotes your salvation? 
Well, the only way they can be assured of salvation is by dying as a martyr in battle against non-Muslims. So there is quite a large, a huge incentive to, um, to commit acts of violence against non-Muslims. If you die in the process, that's the only way you can guarantee that you go to heaven. Yikes. Otherwise, you really cannot know. And my experience with Muslims all over the world has been that they are terrified of death, terrified of God, terrified of the day they'll stand before him and have to give an account for their deeds because there is no other way for them to be saved or helped except to have lived according to all of the, the rules themselves. And a lot of them, you know, the, the rules are, are not always all that clear anyway, and Allah is pictured in the Quran as fairly whimsical and uh, a bit moody and <laughs> very power-hungry, and so he, he's definitely to be feared, and to, to stand before him, <laughs> this, this, this being described in the Quran, and have to stand on your own merit is yeah. absolutely terrifying. That, that sounds terrifying. And so this kind of leads into, um, it seems like now we're getting some major differences between Christianity and Islam. I, they just pop into my mind, you know, and one of them has to do with the nature of God. So what would you say is, what, what's the difference between the, the false God of Islam and the true God of Christianity? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hedge it like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, Absolutely. Right. Well, there are huge differences. And so with regard to the nature of God, I'll give a few examples. The God of the Bible is relational by nature. He has been relational as a trinity for all eternity past. He created humans and walked with them in the Garden of Eden and was relational with his people that he created. He was relational in coming to earth as a man and showing us more of who he is and his character and dying on the cross for us so that we can have a relationship with him despite our sin. He's pictured on the new earth walking with us and um, face-to-face with us in perfect relationship. That's something that we look forward to is um, having no more barriers in between us and God. And the God of Islam, in contrast, has been alone for all eternity past. There is no trinity, according to Islam. He was alone, and he was very content for forever past. People are not um, his children who he wants to have a relationship with. They're his slaves. So in Islam, God is not relational at all, whereas one of God's central characteristics, according to the Bible, is that he's relational. He wants to be known. The God of Islam actually cannot be known. We can know about him. We can know what his commands are. We can know some of his characteristics, but we cannot know him personally. So that's a huge difference. Another difference would be that the God of the Bible is holy in essence. 
he and his commands are rooted in holiness. So he doesn't just give out commands whimsically. His commands reveal his character, and his character is perfect. Yeah. Whereas in Islam, God's commands are rooted in his power. He, he is so powerful that he can say whatever he wants and have people obey him just because he's powerful, and so that's what he does. So his commands are fairly uh, capricious. You know, he, he, he'll just put forth commands uh, just to see people have to follow them, not necessarily because they're rooted in his holy character. Can I ask another question? Uh, the God of the Bible. Of course you may. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so why do, do Muslims believe that? Sorry. Do Muslims believe that, um, that Allah created them? And if so, Why? Why did Allah yes, create them? Yes. That's a great question. Yeah, he, he is the creator, but there's not a lot of reason given as to why he created them. So, um, except that there, the Quran does talk about humans being the slaves of Allah. We are not the children of God um, we we can't be adopted into his family. We our relationship as is that of a slave master to a slave. So we might infer from that that he wanted some slaves, that he wanted lots of slaves to do what he whatever he wanted them to do. Whoa! But th- th- there is no real specific talk other than that about why he created us. And what does the Quran say about anthropology? Like, what's the difference between the, a Christian view of anthropology, a Christian view of humanity, and a, and a Muslim view of humanity? Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, there, the, again, that's a place where there are big differences. So the Christian view is that humans were created in the image of God, and there, that has all sorts of implications for, for human worth, value, dignity. All humans, we believe, have inherent worth, inherent value and dignity. All humans have basic inherent human rights because we are created in the image of God. But in Islam, people were not created in the image of God. And so a person's value and worth is all dependent on their actions, um, their, uh, their ability to follow Allah well. And this actually has really huge implications for women as well, or even more so than men, because uh, Muhammad taught, and the Quran teaches, that women in particular are deficient in intelligence, in common sense, in morality, and so having no Ouch. Um, inherent <laughs> value or dignity... Right, we, we're 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 behind the eight ball here. Leslie says, "Ouch." <laughs> yes, exactly. I have a, I have a follow up question very, very too. Um, so, given that uh, yes. Allah is perceived as um, this kind of capricious, uh, uh, scary mm-hmm. God, um, is there mm-hmm. a perception or a uh, idea that Allah loves humans or not? 
Yeah, great question. The it, it's interesting because the word love does show up in the Quran as in um, related to Allah numerous times, but m- most of those times it's talking about who Allah does not love. He does not love mm. the disobedient. He does not love those who fail to follow his commands well. He does not love people who um, who don't please him greatly. And so, whereas we see in Christianity that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, what we see in Islam is for those who first loved and not even really loved, but obeyed and uh, pleased Allah, then he decided that he would respond by loving them. It's so that's interesting. Again, um, has enormous implications. <laughs> this all sounds exhausting. Right. Like I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yes, very much so. And 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 unsure and very much so. Scared. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't. It doesn't. Yes. And that's what I've found when I've gotten to know Muslims well. Is that's the that's what's going on beneath the veil, if you will, (laughs) is a lot of fear, a lot of darkness, a lot of uncertainty, and, um, yeah, really terror. And and Muhammad said that he um, he was victorious with terror. Terror is what made him victorious as a prophet of God. And terror is really embedded throughout all of Islam. This is like, I mean, it, it sounds like it, and it sounds, uh, oh my gosh, I, I, my, my heart kind of breaks, actually, because now I can see why you're passionate about reaching these mm-hmm. types of people, like, like Muslims, because uh, the, the freedom that comes in Christ from this, you know, the, um, it sounds like mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just overwhelming mm-hmm. almost. You know, I can understand why you're passionate. Um, Absolutely. What, what, do you, what would you yeah. say? What do you, and beyond, beyond all of the fears... Oh, go ahead. No, 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 you go. Well, I was just going to say there's also this issue of this cultural value of honor and shame mm-hmm. where by following all the rules, you a person uh, maintains their honor in society, which, which has huge uh, implications for their value and their worth. And if they make a mistake... Or, or even intentionally fall short, but usually because of all this fear, it's more of a mistake. Uh, that not only brings shame upon them as an individual, but they then bring shame upon their family, their community, their religion, their nation, and sometimes the world. <laughs> They're yeah. told they have shamed their world. And yeah. so this is not just an issue of um, of earning your salvation, although it is that, and that's huge. But it's also an issue of having to be perfect in order to maintain a respectable status in society and carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders, um, representing yourself, your family, your nation, your religion, your community, your mosque. To the world, it's such Yikes. a heavy burden. And uh, that this 
this is like getting really, really good. And we're coming up to our, our midpoint here. So, uh, Laura, you're going to hang around with us for the next half hour. Dr. Wickman, you're going to be here for the next half hour. So, hey, if you guys are listening, we're just getting started here. We're talking all things Islam. I've got, I, I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot of questions ahead of us. Laura Powell is is on with us. She's an expert in Islam. And uh, we're going to dig in. This is Apologetics.com Radio. Just give me 60 seconds and we'll be back. Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Good evening. I am absolutely loving the the bumper music. It's just like we've got this new thing going on. It's we're rocking. Hopefully, keeping you guys awake, whether it's being your your midnight drive home, whether you're driving to work, or you're just up late listening to the show. And we have a special one here. You'll notice our break was really short. We went a little long before the break because there is just so much to talk about. Um, we have with us right now. We're going to continue our conversation on Islam with Laura Ziffer Powell. Uh, you can go to Laura Z Powell, and her last name is P O W E L L dot org to to hear more from her and see where she is, what she's up to, uh, catch some of her talks, and, and maybe even attend one or two as things start to open up. Um, I, I highly recommend you do that. But not only that, guys, we are uh, we're partnering tonight a special episode with Women in Apologetics. W I a. It's a nonprofit organization, and it's seeking to encourage, equip, and educate women in Christian apologetics. So, hey, if you're a lady listening tonight, you need to support this organization. And you can do that by going to womeninapologetics.com. And not only that, like if you're getting your appetite, your, your, your appetite going for Islam stuff, you need to sign up for their course. It's their first ever uh, course that they want to train you up in Islam foundations so that you can witness to your neighbors, so you can talk to your friends, you can talk to your family maybe, who share a, a different worldview. They might be Muslim, and, uh, and you can talk to them in an educated way and hopefully you know, put a stone in their shoe, get them thinking about their, their worldview, and, and you can also hopefully share the gospel with them. And the way to do that is you got to go to womeninapologetics.com and uh, register for that class. I think it's $25. And you have till May 17th, but don't wait because it may fill up. And this includes, I mean, you're going to have video classes. You're going to have Zoom meetings. You're going to get uh, a lot of training in Islam. And uh, you want to do this. And anyway, so we're going to get back to the conversation. Laura, are you still with me? I am. Yes. Woohoo! And Leslie, are you there? 
I am. Woohoo! All right. This, this is fascinating see, stuff. I'm learning a lot. There, there is a God in heaven. I mean, we made it through a break, and I maintained the guests on the line. This is so great because it would get awfully quiet, awfully fast if I was just here by myself. Um, can you imagine the train wreck that that would be? <laughs> Um, but anyways, I want to get back to what we were talking about. Um, so, so we're, what we were doing is we, we went through some basics of Islam and then we, we're starting to discuss some major differences between Islam and Christianity. We were talked about the nature of God. We talked about the kind of anthropology, the nature of humanity. And, uh, and the, the, the question I have to you, Laura, is, um, we mentioned that the kind of the start of the show, uh, that they, the, they, uh, Muslims, uh, acknowledge the existence of Jesus. They even believe that he was a good man, a prophet even, um, what would they, what what are the differences that they have in the in the nature of Jesus? Right. So according to the Quran, Jesus did not claim to be deity in any way. He is not deity. He was just a prophet and he did not uh die. He was not crucified or killed and of course, then he did not rise from the dead. They believe that he was taken directly from earth into heaven and that he will return again one day. And a lot of times I've heard Muslims say, well, our beliefs are basically the same. I mean, we believe, you know, we believe that, that Jesus was this great prophet. He was a great teacher. We have so much respect for him. We believe that God is one, we believe in angels and demons, we believe in paradise and hell. There, you know, there are just a couple of things that we disagree on, and that's just, you know, Jesus wasn't deity and he wasn't crucified. Well, right there you have the gospel. You've just taken away all of the good news. Right. If Jesus was not deity, he didn't come in, uh, from, uh, from heaven and live a perfect life and exchange his perfection for our sin and take on the wrath of God on the cross and then rise from the dead to show that he was who he said he was and that he had conquered death and sin, then there is no gospel. Yeah. And as Paul says, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. So And still in our sins. Again, a very, very central... And, and That's we're... right, exactly. We're still in our sin and there's no hope. If nobody else has paid the penalty for our sins, then we have to pay the penalty for our sins, and that's really bad news. Yeah, and so so the Muslim would, would say that because they have a, a, a misperception of who Jesus is, that we're still, uh, I mean, we still have our sin natures. I mean, we're still, uh, I mean, s- steeped in sin. Well, actually, they would say that we never had a sin nature to begin with. So that's another difference that um, I actually didn't get to about the, when you asked about the nature of humanity. Not only does Islam teach that we're not created in the image of God, it also teaches that we are not fallen, we're not broken. There was no original sin that was imputed to, um, to all of the ancestors of Adam and Eve. And so what Islam believes is that People are not fallen, they're just forgetful. So <laughs> Adam was created um, good. He didn't fall, he just made a mistake and uh, by disobeying God, but there were no consequences for humanity. 
so yes, the, so so according to Islam, we're forgetful, and what we need, since our problem is not fallenness, it's forgetfulness. What we need is just prophets and scriptures to remind us of what is good. We don't need a savior. But if we're not if we're not fallen and we don't need a savior, then why are there consequences? Does that make like I don't understand that? Consequences for what? Our actions. So if if we're if we're not fallen and and uh, so we're not fallen, we're not broken, we're just forgetful. Um, then that like why is there a punishment? And I, I well, I, mean, I guess I'm assuming. I think you mentioned it that there's a there's a heaven and a hell uh, perception. You know, it's not the same, obviously. Yeah. But if if so, why is there? Mm-hmm. If we're just forgetful, I mean, that means we're not really guilty of anything. If we're not sinful. Well, they would say they would say that it's our responsibility to remind ourselves through the scriptures and to make sure that we obey all of the commands and we're perfectly capable of it, but we have to be intentional about reminding ourselves through the scriptures and paying attention to the prophets that gotcha. God has sent. Okay. Um, and if we don't, that's our that's our failure and we must not care enough to remind ourselves we um so they actually would object to our belief and say well if you have imputed sin then how can you be held responsible how could there be consequences you don't really have a whole lot of options you're a sinful being so obviously you're going to make mistakes. You're going to sin. You're going to fall short. So how could God hold you responsible? So they do have they do have their own beliefs on on why we have consequences, and it's that we're perfectly capable of obeying. We just have to be intentional about reminding ourselves with the right things. And that and that is actually another, I feel like another major difference between Christianity and Islam because there's these commands for excellent living and, you know, Christianity and Islam. And that's, mm-hmm. are these commands that Islam says, you have mentioned it earlier, you know, pray five times a day, take a pilgrimage. Well, I'd love to know more about, about those, what they are. And is that also part of the remembering process? Yes, yes, exactly. So Muslims are to pray five times a day. And if you're praying five times a day, it's going to be harder to forget um, what Allah teaches, what the Quran teaches, than if you're ignoring that command. You're supposed to take a pilgrimage, like you mentioned. Uh, You're supposed to actually seek out and kill non-Muslims. A lot of people don't know this. There's this popular notion in the West today that... Um, that it's just radicals who have overtaken the good and true Islam who hurt people, who seek so, to harm them, who Hold on one second. So, but, but actually, sure. So what you're saying, like in, in what you're saying is that uh, to be a, an obedient Muslim, to be an obedient Muslim, living the commands for excellent living necessarily entails that you should be seeking to kill non-Muslims. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Yes. Muhammad, um, 
is the excellent pattern of conduct for all Muslims. And he spent um, his life as a prophet, as soon as he had the resources to do so, attacking all non-Muslims, anybody who disagreed with him, anybody who made fun of him, anybody who rejected Islam, anybody, even people um, in the last 10 years, he was even attacking people who had not necessarily heard the message of Islam, but just were not Muslims. And so um, Muslims are commanded to follow his example down to the detail. In fact, um, Nabil Qureshi, if, uh, if listeners are familiar with him, <laughs> he, he was a Muslim, he became a Christian. He talked about, he used to talk about how he would always enter the restroom with his left foot first because Muhammad had done that. And, yeah. the, and Muslims were to follow Muhammad's example down to every last little detail. And so if Muhammad stepped into the bathroom with his left foot first, then that's what Muslims are to do as well. If, they, um, if, Mus- if Muhammad stood up while tying his turban, then that's what Muslims are supposed to do as well. And so certainly on the, the bigger issues of the way Muhammad lived his life, um, Muslims are to follow his example as well. And Muhammad taught that fighting is the very best thing in the world. He taught that it's the only thing worth leaving paradise to return to earth for. He taught that, it, it, that fighting earns the greatest reward from Allah. He taught that, um, uh, he, he, well, he, he invoked curses on his enemies. So as the beautiful pr- pattern of conduct, he invoked curses from Allah on his, on his enemies. He asked Allah to set fire to people's homes oh and my. graves because they delayed his prayers. He sent assassins to kill his personal enemies at night in their sleep, not as a matter of, uh, of battle, but um, as a matter of personal vendetta. He tortured people for money and for power. He led battles against unarmed cities. Um, he ordered his followers to violently subjugate the entire world for Islam. And so... Uh, these, these things, a lot of these commands are not only in Muhammad's example, but they are also in the Quran itself, which, which says to fight the unbelievers wherever you find them, strive hard against them, be unyielding to them, uh, cut off their hands and their feet, and crucify them, torture them. This is them. intense. And so... Yes, so so these are <laughs> these are the the final marching orders for Muslims in the Quran, sure. and they are uh-huh. the example. They're they're the pattern. They're the behavior of Muhammad, who's the beautiful pattern of conduct. Holy smokes! And okay, so man, I'm trying to th- I'm trying to we have uh, we have like ten minutes left in the show, and I'm trying to think to myself, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking I have like four or five friends that I can that I can name right now that are that are Muslims, right? So. How am I, man, I'm not going to lead off my conversation with them saying, hey, well, you're commanded to kill me. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to lead, like if I'm, if I'm talking to my Muslim friends, like what are the arguments against Islam that uh, our listeners should know? And then how do I go about, (laughs) how do I go about talking to my neighbors, um, trying to show them that there's a, there's a better and truer way out there? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing that I think is 
important and to, uh, that has been my experience all over the world is that Muslims generally are very happy to talk about religion as well as politics, by the way. These are not taboo <laughs> subjects. And um, I have Muslim friends all over the world, too, and they generally love talking about what they believe. They love talking about Islam to me. And one argument that every Christian needs to know is uh, what uh, David Wood has titled the Islamic Dilemma. This is a critical argument because it addresses so many different issues. So it's founded on the fact that the Quran actually affirms the divine inspiration, ongoing authority, and perfect preservation of the Gospels. So that's really important. I don't think most Christians know this. The Quran, I'll say it again, the Quran affirms the inspiration, authority, and perfect preservation of the Gospels. Um, we as Christians don't even believe that <laughs> the Gospels have been perfectly preserved in every manuscript. Yeah. But the Quran uh, says that it has. It says that, that, yes. So That's crazy. So that is the first thing to know, exactly. So when a Muslim says that um, the Bible has been corrupted, it's been changed, we can't trust it, that's why Allah had to send Muhammad and the Quran, we can bring this up, that the Quran affirms the inspiration, authority, and preservation of the Gospels. If you're saying it's been changed, then you're disagreeing with the Quran. That's not an option for you, is it? No. Uh, so um, the next thing to know <laughs> is that, as we've already talked about, the Quran contradicts the Gospels on key issues. So, like Jesus' yeah. Jesus' death and resurrection, <laughs> huge issues, the central gospel message. And so, um, so if the, the Quran affirms the gospels, but then contradicts the gospels, here's the dilemma for Muslims. Yeah. If the gospels are trustworthy, then the Quran is not trustworthy because the Quran contradicts the gospels yeah. on key issues. Whoops. But... If the Gospels are exactly, but if the Gospels are not trustworthy, then the Quran is still not trustworthy because the Quran says the Gospels are trustworthy. So that is a huge problem because either way, the Quran is false. So whether the Gospels are wow. or are not trustworthy. So 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 the Laura Quran has a major problem here. What happens like when you yes. when you share this with your Muslim friends? Like how do they? What, what's their response back to you? Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes some Muslims have said, no, the Quran doesn't say that. And so then I'll say, well, let's open the Quran and look at it. And that we'll, we'll look at, the, at several verses in the Islam Foundations course. If people are interested in going a little bit deeper, we'll definitely have lots of verses in the course that is starting on June 7th. But um, one of my favorite reactions <laughs> was I was talking, I was having dinner with a, a good friend of mine who's a Muslim, and we were we were in her dining room, and she was she was like finishing up making dinner, and I was telling her this argument because she had come at me. She brought up the topic. I oh, I rarely actually bring up this the subject of the differences and problems with Islam, because my Muslim friends bring them up so often. But um, <laughs> I was just responding to her attacking the, the, the Gospels, and I told her this Islamic dilemma, and she 
literally started sweating and turning red. And she said, Laura, you are making me sweat. I do not want to talk about this anymore. And it was just really, I just started laughing because it was, it was just so funny. Um, it's probably not the best re- response. but um, I, Well, but I, I absolutely love that. Really, there is no good answer. I love that example because, because Laura, it shows that you have such a great rapport, right? So, so this is part of it too, right? We need to be making friends, and we need to, to have friends with with differing worldviews, and and then not be afraid to to talk about them. And mm-hmm. you know, and if you have a relationship with somebody, and like like you clearly do, you can share these hard things and make people actually think critically about their worldview, and in the hopes, right? So so when you take the pressure off of you, it's not up to you to convert your friends, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit needs to do that. So, but all you need to do is throw things on the table and uh, let her get all red and mad and say, I don't want to talk about this anymore. You know, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so great. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And she knew already very well that I loved her, that I care about her. Yeah. Um, she knew I wasn't sharing this information with her because, out of any sort of hatred for her or anything like that. And our relationship has continued. I mean, that was years ago and we're still good friends. Um, but we've actually, where we've had to go from there is taught meeting with her imam together because she doesn't want to talk to me alone about it anymore because she doesn't have any answers. And actually her imam doesn't want to talk to me anymore because he doesn't have answers. Um, so, uh, so they're being forced to think though. And, and they, they're without excuse now. And that's what we want. We want people to have the, every opportunity yeah. to hear the truth and to know the truth and to accept the truth, embrace it, and um, and to know the true God. Absolutely. I love your heart here. And so, okay, so we have the, the Islamic dilemma, and is there, like, there's on, on the list that you gave me, there's the deceitful God, uh, incompetent Messiah argument against Islam. So what what is that? Yeah, that's another favorite of mine that tends to come up pretty frequently. So according to the Quran, Jesus was not crucified or killed, but Allah made it look like Jesus was crucified. Um, Most Muslims believe that it was somebody else who was actually on the cross. It was not Jesus. Uh, But the Quran says that Allah made it look like Jesus was crucified and killed, but he actually wasn't. So the problem here is that if Allah made it look like Jesus was crucified, then Allah is the greatest deceiver ever to exist, and he is personally responsible for Christianity, for the existence of Christianity, and for all of the billions of souls that are lost if Christianity is false. This makes Allah a liar and a deceiver and responsible for Christianity, responsible for souls uh, going to hell, being separated from God for eternity. And that's, that, that is usually a huge problem for Muslims. It's actually quite in line with the Quran, which says that Allah does lead people astray intentionally, but <laughs> most Muslims don't know this. What, one of the things that we talk about in the course is uh, one of the lessons is the barriers to Muslims reading and knowing the Quran. Most Muslims do not know what the Quran says, yeah. and there are a lot of reasons for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's there's a there's an awful lot of Christians there's an awful lot of Christians who don't know what the Bible says either. So let's not like be too let's not be too hard on the Muslims, you know. So, but but I I think that I mean that's a great point. 
this is um i mean this this there, there are so many questions i have for you but we have like two minutes left so with our last two minutes i would love to uh i'd just love to hear your advice like if if, if you could give me a one minute or two minute tip on how, i just want to affect my neighbor what, do, what am i to do Yeah, so as I mentioned before, Muslims are usually very, very happy to talk about their beliefs. We just have to ask them. We have to show that we care, that we want to hear from them. And so I would say don't be afraid to talk about religion. Don't be afraid to talk about um, these subjects that are sometimes considered taboo in, in Western cultures. But from any, for anyone from a Muslim background with a Muslim family, it's most likely something that they're very willing and even excited to talk about. So we so need to be respectful, but don't avoid. Sorry. I was just going to say, cause the music's coming on. So, so we need to, we need to just put ourselves out oh, yes. there. We need to be talking to our neighbors and not shy away from the conversations. Yes. So, Hey guys, just one last mention here. Exactly. If, if you're listening, uh, we've been uh, talking to Laura Ziffer Powell, Laura Z Powell, uh, org. Go visit her P O W E L L.org. Make sure you get there. But even so, even if you go there, you need to also go to a women in apologetics, women in apologetics.com. You need to sign up for their course on Islam foundations, get involved 25 bucks. You don't want to miss this. If you can't afford it, appeal, apply, appeal, apply for a, a scholarship and you'll get it. Uh, Laura, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Dr. Wickman, as always, I'm going to be with you yes, next month. Thank you. So so for these two amazing women in apologetics, this is uh, John Noyes in apologetics.com radio, where we challenge believers to think and think is to believe. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.